Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. He currently serves as a researcher and assistant professor at the United States Military Academy, West Point. Nick is an expert on nutrition and performance of the tactical athlete. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Nick Barringer. Prior to this, Nick taught performance nutrition as part of the Army Baylor Graduate Program in Nutrition. He also served in the 75th Ranger Regiment as a member of the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program, where he oversaw the nutrition aspects of physical training for Rangers. Nick received his undergraduate degree in dietics from the University of Georgia and his doctorate in kinesiology from Texas A&M. In addition to all this, Nick has presented at both national and international conferences on tactical athlete nutrition and performance, and his research is applied in multiple media outlets such as Science Daily and Men's Journal. Nick is passionate about improving nutrition and performance in tactical athletes and has a unique perspective of a researcher, teacher, and practitioner having deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan, so he best understands both the academic and applied demands of the tactical athlete. In this episode, Nick talks about Previously, while working at the United States Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine, he researched warfighter nutrition requirements in different environments to include deployed special operations. His role in the 75th Ranger Regiment is part of the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program, the energy demands of different training schools, and the impact on calorie deficits on force production, his role at West Point, and other research projects he is currently engaged in. The impact of omega-3 and vitamin D on soldiers' resiliency and mood, Good evening, Nick, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to have you on, mate. I've uh, been following your work for a little while, but and obviously chatting to Susan Lopez, who spoke very highly of you as well. So really wanted to get you on, just chat away to you about some of the work you've been doing. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's great we're able to connect, and it's a yeah, it's just a, a small kind of uh, tactical performance world, and it's it's getting smaller now with the you know the international influence folks overseas like yourself, uh, you know, um, all of us getting together. So it's, uh, I think it's awesome. That's cool, man. It's cool. Um, obviously Nick, I've had a chance to chat to you a little bit on and off air as well. Um, for anyone who hasn't come across you and your work, can you just give us a little bit of a background of, you know, where your career started and where you're currently at? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. So, so I am a, a dietitian, a registered, uh, dietitian, um, you know, been in the military, uh, now going on almost uh, 17 years, which is which is hard to believe. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, um, and through that time, I was able to to work with you know different military units. Was able to work in a, a research unit. Um, uh, got my master's in exercise science, and then was able to go to Texas A&M and get my doctorate uh, in kinesiology at the Exercise Sport and Nutrition Lab under Dr. Richard Kreider. Um, and then I, I should go back and mention, I got my undergrad at the university of Georgia, go dogs. Um, and, and yeah. And so now I am at, um, United States, uh, military Academy in West point, New York, where I have the privilege of, you know, teaching, um, you know, tomorrow's future leaders. If, if you look at history, West points produced presidents, astronauts, uh, secretaries of defense. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's just exciting going to work every day and getting to teach uh, these kids knowing that, you know, if I can instill a little bit about the importance of nutrition, um, what impact that might have down the road as, as they go out and do great things. So that, that's my background. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, then, Nick. And obviously, going to Georgia to do your undergrad is initially your interest in diets and obviously the military as well. Is that something you've always had or is that something you just developed over time before you started into the college uh, sector? Yeah. So 
it started in, in high school, really. So um, in, in wrestling, um, I got, uh, I think I was like seventh, eighth grade. I got a handout on, um, you know, anybody who's wrestled knows about like making weight and you have your weight classes on like how to eat mm-hmm. for wrestling. And I, I just, I locked in on it. I was like, okay, this is, this is what I do. And, and, and so then I started reading more about it. And then um, in high school, I'm, I'm not a, a great natural athlete. I just always had to work at it. Um, and so that just made me want to find ways of getting stronger. And I had a strength coach. I was very lucky, um, at the high school I was at, I had a great strength coach who had actually worked at Clemson at the university level. So he was just, you know, phenomenal and and became a mentor, um, and, and taught me about it. And then, so I'm like, I want to be a strength coach. So when I went to Georgia, I actually started out working in, uh, with the football team as a student assistant in the weight room. A uh, guy by the name of uh, Eric Fears, who's a strength coach there, really great strength coach, and 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 some other folks, um, and and got to, you know, do that and see, uh, you know, some really high level athletes. I mean, those 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 guys are mutants, and later, you know, a lot of them ended up playing in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there was always just kind of a calling. It, it felt, you know, for lack of a better word, like a a job, um, and I wanted, you know, a profession, and and so I had some other buddies who, you know, were in, uh, the army ROTC program. Um, my, my father had served in the military. My brother was a Marine growing up. I had, you know, read books like Carlos Hathcock, you know, Marine sniper mm-hmm. read about Audie Murphy, PTO PT one Oh nine with JFK. So I, I grew up kind of with that background and, you know, it just was like a calling. So I joined ROTC um, and also switched my major to nutrition because I had one nutrition class that I had to take because I was an exercise science major and I found the class so fascinating. I was like, Oh, can you major in this? And they're like, yes. So I did that. And, uh, yeah, I, I did ROTC and, and joined the army and, you know, and, and that's, that's how it all got started. When you, when you enlisted into the army, then, uh, when was your first, uh, tour into the Ranger regiment or do you go elsewhere prior to, you know, switching into Ranger regiment? I, we, elsewhere. So I, I started out, um, is, is, you know, not to get into a lot of detail, but med service, which was just basic, um, it, you know, like a medical platoon leader. Uh, and I was at 10th Mountain, um, climbed to glory uh, up there at Fort Drum, New York, which was kind of funny because I'm a Southern boy, grew up down South. And of all the places I wanted to go, it was not up North, you know, snow, <laughs> uh, you know, lake effect snow up there, we're <laughs> snowshoeing. Um, so, so did that, learned a lot there. But uh, then I got into the Army has a dietetic internship down at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas. I got into that. And so I left drum, went down to San Antonio, um, did my nine-month rotation at Brook Army Medical Center, learned so much down there, um, and then got stationed at Fort Hood, Texas, um, which is clean Texas, central Texas, uh, as a dietitian, worked there. Uh, for a little bit in the hospital, got out, worked with the unit, um, and then an opportunity came up uh, to deploy with the uh, with the 28th Combat Support Hospital, uh, and we ended up deploying to Iraq. Um, uh, even Cena, if anybody's ever you know seen the the documentary like Baghdad ER, that's where that's where we were at, um, and and I worked over there. And while I was over there, um, I, I got a a, a uh, one of my old bosses reached out and was like, Hey, uh, the 75th Ranger Regiment's looking to hire a dietitian. Are you interested? And I was like, yes, of, of course. Um, 
so I, I put in for that and it worked out and I got to come back and I got to, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, try out their assessment and selection program um, and, and did that and, and passed and, you know, did airborne school, you know, in route and all like that. And uh, yeah, and that's, and that's how I got there. I know from like John to you before, Nick as well, that you're saying going through the, the whole ranger school as well. It wasn't something you needed to do, but you felt like you should do it as well. So what, what came about uh, for, you know, instilling that in yourself, like, right, I need to do this in order to crack on with this current uh, job posting? You know, I always like to challenge myself. I, I think it goes back to, you know, my parents, high school sports, that, that coach who, who took an interest in me, you know, is always challenging you and, you and you want those sort of challenges. You want to you want to push yourself. And, you know, you just want to see if you can, if you can do it. Um, and so I think that was really a large part of it that, that drove me um, to, to get there. And then once you're there, words cannot describe the level of excellence of those, you know, folks in that organization. And, and so when you're around that, um, there, there's that pressure to, to, to do those sort of things. Um, and, and then what they don't tell you is, you know, it's not like you, you do that and then you've arrived, then you even have more pressure to uphold that standard. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so it's like you meet the standard and now there's even more pressure because you want to uphold the standard because you realize, okay, now that I've achieved this, you know, folks are going to look at me a certain way and, and I don't want to do anything to kind of besmirch the name of, of that organization just because there's just so many excellent leaders and soldiers that have come out of it and who are there today. Now, what was it like being part of that organization as part of the, is it the, the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program itself? Yeah, it was, it was, it was the Ranger Athlete Warrior Program. And that, that came about um, because the regimental commander at the time saw, you know, folks training differently. And, and so he wanted um, to have kind of one training, you know, standard, a more holistic approach. Really, you look at everything the Army's doing now, uh, Ranger Regiment was doing it 2006, 2007. And um, that was a large part uh, to a guy by the name of Danny McMillan, who's, who's at the University of Puget Sound now, retired. But he was a physical therapist, brilliant individual who, who kind of helped stand up that program and hire me um, uh, along with occupational therapists. And, um, you know, we, we tried to, to create this kind of holistic uh, program there where we all work together to, you know, treat Rangers like the tactical athletes that they are. So, so we had, you know, uh, uh, four uh, pillars, uh, uh, performance, uh, the physical performance, uh, the physical therapy, the, the mental toughness, and then and the performance nutrition. And, you know, we all like work that. Um, and, and let me say, you know, in, in establishing it, we would go and visit um, other organizations. So we went out to the Olympic Training Center and saw what they did. We, we looked at like what special, um, you know, uh, other special operations uh, programs did. We looked at professional sports teams and, and what they did. And we took all of it and brought it back and then tried to create this program. And, you know, I, I think we did a pretty decent job. It's still around today. I just want to try and draw into a little bit of your research as well that you've put out. So some of the stuff we know around like the Ranger School and that it's like it's a very arduous and demanding school to be a part of and go through it. But it's one of many within the US military as well. That's a demanding one. Can we just chat a little bit about some of the research you've done around like, you know, daily uh, injury requirements, especially of guys going through some of these more arduous schools? 
Yes. Um, so I was, I was able to be part of a paper um, with, with the, one of the units I was with, um, uh, the U.S. Army Research Institute of Environmental Medicine. It's like the, uh, the Ranger Regiment of Research, I'll say. Those, those guys are the, the best researchers, uh, guys and gals, uh, you know, best researchers, um, you know, in the Army up there. Um, and uh, so uh, we were able to look at some of the data that they had collected over the years using doubly labeled water and, and energy expenditure and special operations unit and come up with kind of an, an energy prediction equation um, for uh, folks working with special operations to use. Um, because as a, as a follow on to that, um, there's a, a paper uh, the lead authors, uh, Nancy Murphy, uh, Dr. Lee Margolis, who worked on this, the special operations energy expenditure, helped me with that. And uh, he also is on that paper, uh, but demonstrated that, you know, at certain energy deficits, um, the one thing we can expect soldiers to do is lose lower body power. So mm -hmm. um, via vertical jump. And so kind of how I tie that in is like, hey, you know, you might think, you know, skipping a meal or not getting enough energy is not that big a deal. But when we look at we can predict decrements in lower body power. Now all of a sudden you're out on an objective and you get shot at, um, you're not going to be able to run as fast, which makes you more susceptible to injure, uh, to enemy fire. Um, so, you know, fueling matters, right? You, we can connect that to the battlefield. Um, so that's, so that's to me, what's really exciting about this work is, is taking that work, you know, um, kind of from the bench and then applying it, you know, to the warfighter. So, so they can see is like, Hey, you know, skipping meals, not being adequately fueled, it can affect your survival probability um, on the battlefield. So that's why we want you to fuel up. And that's an interesting point as well, because I know you sent me that paper on, on the rush and the, the impact of speed on survivability. And it's crazy to see someone going from, you know, being able to double their mirrors per second from three mirrors per cent to six and the survivability rate increasing dramatically from that. Um, but obviously you touched upon like, you know, calorie deficits and stuff when the energy level drops. How much of a deficit do you know we typically have to see within soldiers for this to be such a profound effect on them? So it it, it depends on the, the the time, and so I need to get that that paper uh, you know uh, kind of pulled up. I'm I'm trying to think of of the uh, specifics, but you know even a few hundred calories a day over sixty days, mm -hmm. remember you could see um, a significant drop energy expenditure now obviously if, if it's more significant if we're talking like hey, you're in a thousand calorie deficit um then then it would be much quicker and so in that paper we kind of lay it out there in, in the different times off the top of my head i sadly don't know um the exact equation on that um but but that's another kind of tool that that i would apply to soldiers and show them and say hey look you know if you're in this energy expenditure for this long um these sort of things can happen and then what was kind of of interest with this is uh, I did another, you know, uh, data collection uh, downrange in Afghanistan uh, with some special operators. And when we looked at the, you know, the predicted energy output um, with the loads that they were reportedly carrying and then what, you know, the rations were providing in, in terms of energy, they were hitting those energy deficits very easily. You know, um, just because, you know, you get a large uh, individual and you put an 80, 100 pound ruck on them, it doesn't take too long for them to, you know, burn a lot more calories than say, you know, three MREs at 3,600 calories would provide per day. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, from a logistical and practical standpoint as well, 
you're never going to be able to fully fill that deficit. It's just trying to minimize it as much as possible, I guess. Exactly. Yes. Right. And that, and that was, and that's kind of the takeaway is like, Hey, this is, you know, this is the minimal level. And, and um, you know, that number, it was, if you're in a basic, like a, you know, a, same with preserving lean muscle mass, if you get to where, you know, you're in a 40% energy deficit, really, no matter how much protein we give you, we, we can't preserve lean muscle mass because it's going to be used as a fuel source. Mm-hmm. So whereas if you're in a 20 or 30 or you can keep it under that and you take in more protein, then it might, you know, preserve lean muscle mass. So, so there are those, you know, it's kind of trying to mitigate those extreme deficits. Obviously from your time back with range regimen as well, I was saying like the, the training is quite arduous and like demanding on the guys. What, what's the effect of all this on, you know, recovery rates within guys who've gone through ranger training as well? Cause I know you've done a bit of research around that as well. Yeah. So, so we looked at that. Um, that was one of the big, big questions. And that was something that came up to me at, you know, uh, regiment was interesting was a lot of other units when their folks graduated ranger school, they kind of got to, you know, have, have some time off and have, you know, time to recover, et cetera. And, and, um, our guys were, were kind of ramping up and, and would go right back into the deployment cycle. So it was like, wow, are, are they really recovered? Cause I know physically it, t- it took me a while and, uh, I was able to do, uh, you know, some, some research, the lead author on that paper is, uh, uh, Will Conkright. And, uh, it was uh, differential recovery rates of ranger school. And what we found is that at six weeks, we wanted to follow up longer than that, but because of logistical, you know, reasons, we, it, it's hard to. Um, but at six weeks, um, folks weren't recovered. So six weeks post ranger school, they, they still weren't back to baseline. Um, so how long does that go on? I don't know. That still needs to be done, you know? And was there any, uh, you know, external factors that would affect that recovery process? Like either, you know, um, let's say body size, body fat, uh, percentage levels and stuff like that, genders or anything? Gender is, it was at the time we did it, it's all males. Okay. Um, so, so no, but, but no, there, there wasn't any, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's, and that's, you, you really get at, you know, some of these, these issues is, you know, we, we haven't even figured out how long uh, that decrement lasts, let alone what are the optimal strategies for recovery from that? Or, you know, how can we shorten um, that, that recovery? Um, and, and that's, you know, the other piece of this kind of tactical athlete thing that, that, that gets me excited is from coming from the, you know, sports world. Like if, if you look at, you know, all the analytics they have on American football, and I'm sure I know they have it on, you know, European soccer, where they can say, you know, this, this requirement um, requires X or the average, uh, you know, footballer is going to run this distance and this speed, et cetera. Mm-hmm we don't, we don't have that for the tactical athletes. Yeah. And that, that just kind of blows my mind in a lot of ways, like back to the rush, like, you know, you can't tell a soldier how fast they should run in order to, you know, maximally increase their rate of survival. We just say three to five seconds. Well, that's, you know, time's a moot point in terms of like, if I stand in front of you for three seconds, you'll still shoot me. So obviously that's not the, the discriminating factor. There's a speed component. And the fact that we haven't done the research and know specifically what that is, uh, to me, is, is it's wild. And so that's where, you know, the tactical athlete and, and folks in this field, it's, it's, it's exciting, is there's so much more research to be done to, to understand this. 
I mean, definitely. I think it's it's a really exciting prospect to dive into as well. And like you say, within sport, we've done a ton of research within it, and we know, you know, general uh, distances uh, covered. You know, through running in games like soccer or rugby, um, you know, the the sort of impact forces we can expect through like rugby collisions or even just like you know time and place or how much energy expenditure is going to be. But the tactical athlete, I would say, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You can. You can look at some of the the common metrics or stuff like okay, what's the impact of rocking going to be? What's like you know some of the different job tasks? But you know things go sideways, and you know the mission goes on like past wherever it was, say like a quick snatch and grab or something like that, and it's suddenly extended by hours or even days. You know what impact is that? And how can you appropriately train for that sort of stuff? No, exactly, and that's the, and that's that's where we need to have those those answers, and we need to apply the same resources and effort that we do in sports to tackle athletes, especially um, when we look at, you know, kind of what's on the line. Definitely. Now I just want to bring it back a bit there, Nick, obviously you were mentioning about the uh, U S army research Institute of environmental medicineism. Mm-hmm. Yep. So did, did you uh, spend some time there or have you just collaborated with guys out of there as well? No, I, I, I spent some time there. Um, uh, so, uh, I was there, uh, for a couple of years. Um, it's a great organization, kind of little known tucked away outside of Boston there in Natick, Massachusetts. Um, just some brilliant, brilliant individuals up there doing all sorts of, uh, great, great research, um, in terms of, I was in the military nutrition division and I mean, you know, um, you know, any, anywhere, if we had a psychologist who does some great research, uh, protein um, research, Dr. Stefan Pasiakos, um, uh, unbelievable, brilliant uh, protein researcher. Um, Dr. Uh, Lee Margolis just had a paper on, on ketones and high fat diet, and Lee's done, he did a lot of that energy expenditure study. He was the original one doing the data uh, collection. Um, Dr. Phil Carl, uh, the microbiome, which is just so it's such an interesting topic and a hot topic. And and when I first got to Eucerium and and I'll be honest, I I met him, you know, I kind of was like, all right, so this is the guy that studies poop, you know? And I'm like, but, but after talking to him, I'm like interested in the microbiome. Like I couldn't believe it. And and because, you know, he, he taught me so much in terms of all these things that are connected and that's just the type of team they have up there and and they're just doing great uh, research. And so, uh, you know, every chance I get to, uh, you know, talk to those, those folks, um, I do. And, and I recommend anybody listening to this, go look up their papers, you know, go on Google Scholar, set up those alerts um, and, and just read some of the work they, they've done. Cause I just don't think they get enough credit. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting to see how much of the research now is really showing how important, you know, that uh, micro gut biome is on overall health and performance as well. And if that's off, you know, number of factors that can go wrong. So it's an interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had a, a Dr. Carl recently spoke to my students about that and it was just, it was, it was brilliant. Um, just all the, the things that are, that are connected. And uh, so I'm really excited to see, you know, as, as things come out in that field and that progresses. Obviously, at the start, you were saying that you're currently up at uh, West Point Military Academy as, as an assistant professor uh, mm-hmm. up there. Yes. So how did, how did that come about for you, Nick? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've had a good run in terms of, of, of luck and fortune, I guess. I, you know, I, I, um, it was actually, I was at Eucerium and I, um, you know, we had a visit here and I, and I got to talk to the, to the individual who's the head of the department. 
and, um, you know, um, got a, got a job offer. And, and so, uh, from that, you know, was able to come down here and, and now I'm, I'm teaching and get to work on, you know, some, some, um, research. Uh, but, but again, it's just, it's great, uh, being around, uh, students, um, you know, again, and, and then there's just a certain energy with the youth, you know, like that, it's, that, that you get that you feed off of. Um, I, I don't know quite how to describe it, but, but it's just great because they're, you know, they're passionate and they're, um, you know, fired up about becoming future leaders. And so you, you kind of get that every day when you go in the classroom and, and, you know, it kind of gives you a little energy um, mm -hmm. as well. So I really enjoy that. Nice. How are you finding your time there as well? Is it like, are you mostly teaching or are you getting time to do research in there as well? Get, get a little time to try to get some uh, projects going, obviously with the, you know, the, the environment and COVID it, it's, it's, it's created challenges. It's, it's, you know, um, made it more difficult, but, but we're working around and, and, and through that. Um, but, but hopefully we'll get some, some projects going. Um, but yeah, so I, I teach and then have some time to, to do some research as well. So that's, that's really nice. All right. Cool. Cool. I know um, for some of your research stuff as well, I was wanting to get on to is just, I've seen some of the, the stuff you presented on with regards to the, the, the effect and the role of omega-3s and also vitamin D for the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the modern day warfighter. So can you just talk to us a little bit about where your research for this started and what your, uh, what your main you know, benefits you found from these uh, omega-3s and vitamin Ds for soldiers? Yeah, so you know, the interest kind of started um, back when I was getting my doctorate at Texas A&M and, you know, I was kind of looking at things. I, I wanted to do something that impacted warfighters. Like that was, that was why I was, I was there and that's what I wanted to do. So, um, there's a, a guy, Dr. Mike Lewis, uh, who did a bunch of omega-3 fatty acid, um, research. Um, and you know, that, that really kind of fascinated me, uh, particularly, uh, one paper, oof, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up, but let's see if I can pull it off. The, it was looking at um, soldiers who, the, the blood samples in a repository of soldiers who had committed suicide compared to those who didn't. And I think it was like 400 and 400. Um, and those in the lowest quartile for omega-3s in their, their blood, particularly uh, docahexanoic acid, I believe it was, DHEA, or uh, DHA, pardon me, not DHEA. Um, we're 60% more likely to be in the suicide group. So I just remember reading that and be like, what? And, and so that, you know, and talking to him um, kind of put me down that road of, of looking at omega-3s and traumatic uh, brain injuries. And he did a paper with uh, uh, Dr. Julian Bales of, you know, concussion fame and, and, and reading that. And then I, I don't know where the vitamin D, you know, that, that kind of came into play as well. It kind of goes hand in hand, you know, fish, uh, you know, you think of, of your like great grandparents to, to prevent rickets, they probably took cod liver oil, mm -hmm. uh, which was also high in vitamin D. Um, so, so I kind of looking at that and, and, and so I wanted to do something with, um, you know, cognitive at, at the time there, and, and still sadly enough, there was, you know, the, the 22 suicides a day, I was, I was trying to connect something there. And so um, I worked with a, a psychologist there at Texas A&M, got him on my committee. And, and so uh, we used the patient healthcare question nine. It was, it's a measure of depression, we, we, you know, for, for mood and some soldiers at Fort Hood. Um, and then we looked at omega-3 vitamin D levels uh, and physical activity. 
and we came up with kind of this prediction equation. And um, based on our numbers, you know, we had so many that were severely depressed, so many that were mildly depressed. And we used uh, an algorithm to try to, you know, predict those numbers with the, the vitamin D, omega-3 blood levels, but also reported physical activity and APFT scores, their Army physical fitness scores. And uh, we were able to, to predict about like 80% with that. And, and why was that important? Um, it, it's because, you know, s- soldiers are typically very stoic um, and, you know, they're not going to tell you they have a problem. Like, like again, with, with kind of the, the suicide issue, what I saw that as is, is our, our typical means of, you know, them going to mental health or, or waiting on that to happen wasn't always working. So there had to be something else. So I kind of saw this as a, you know, canary in the coal mine type way of, of, you know, maybe commanders could look at, you know, reported physical activity of their soldiers, their, their physical fitness levels. And then if they had blood values on them, like a vitamin D omega three and put those together and be like, okay, this soldier's at risk. Let me intervene. Let me check in on them. Right. So, so that's where that, that came from. And we, we published that paper in military medicine. Um, and then that, that kind of created, uh, when I went on and taught, uh, taught at the, the uh, graduate program in nutrition in, in San Antonio, it's, it's the AMED center in school. Um, I was able to work with a student, um, very brilliant student, um, and, and she needed to do a project. And so we looked at data um, from the military medical system on vitamin D diagnosis and depression diagnosis at different bases. And, and lo and behold, what do we find? We find, well, the northern bases, you're more likely to be vitamin D deficient and you're more likely to be depressed. So um, again, you know, that kind of, you know, leading in, in, into that. Um, now, with all this being said, haven't done that intervention study yet, sadly. So, so we don't know, are, are you, you know, can, can we somehow help your depression by giving you some mega three and vitamin D or is it just that, you know, you're not going out cause you're depressed and you're not eating sushi cause you're not eating, you know, <laughs> cause, cause you're depressed. Um, uh, we don't know that that study hasn't um, been done yet. Um, but, but that's kind of where that came from and, and why I'm interested in the topic. And then, you know, and also in the meantime, as I looked more about vitamin D, it's like, okay, you get a vitamin D receptor in your muscle. And, you know, when we knock it out in animal models, I think the, the muscle is like 30 or 40% smaller. So there's so many things, it's a hormone, so many things that, that go on and it's, it's more prevalent. That was the other piece. You know, even the soldiers I saw at Fort Hood. So I did this study at Fort Hood, you know, central Texas, you would think plenty of sunshine. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them were vitamin D deficient or insufficient and other studies uh, out of Fort Bliss even have, have shown similar uh, findings. Um, so again, this is just seems to kind of be a, a thing across the army. Um, and you know, in, in a lot of other populations as well. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, just with regards to Texas, then is that just with regards to job roles and that like guys aren't out in the sun as much or is it diet based for them? Do you find? Well, you know, a little of both. I mean, if, if you also think about, okay, even when we're in the sun, we have a uniform on, yeah. you know, you're not, it's, there's, there's no sleeveless army uniform. <laughs> so <laughs> you're, you're very, you know, you're very much covered up. Um, and, and skin cancers are, you know, a concern, right? So, so that's that. And then, yeah, how, how, you know, how many folks are eating cod, you know, or a lot of like, uh, you know, a lot of fish, um, not, not so much. Uh, so, so it is hard to get it in if, you know, for, for some folks, if they don't supplement. 
And, and where I would really be curious to see, again, haven't got to do this study, is, is downrange overseas, um, you know, with, with folks that might be, um, you know, working at night, you know, cause, or even some of these, you know, people on, on reverse cycle or, or you know, on night shifts um, where, yeah, you're, you're working at, at night and sleeping during the day, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that can't be good for the, the, uh, the vitamin D as well. Definitely. I can't, I, I can't remember who put out a paper a while back. It was on like, you know, the role of shift work on, I think it was uh, nursing staff who worked mostly nights and just the, the impact on physical health and you know oh it's it's uh, horrible oh it's, yeah 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 but no that's that's interesting to, to hear from you nick and obviously with your role up at uh, west point i know you're you said you're trying to do some more research there as well you just give us a little indication of some of the other research you're currently doing and looking into yeah it's, it's some of the, the projects we're, we're looking at hoping to get started um you know we we do um combative training up here and um there's uh, been some some nice uh, you know paper with I think it was with wrestlers and, and cortisol levels and um, outcomes um, in performance and so that got us thinking there's not a lot of combatives research so again we're we're trying to um, you know partner um, with with Usarium and, and look at at that and and you know the the long term hope of all this is like all right um, you know for a lot of uh, you know new cadets or anybody new soldiers you know, combat is, is a, a, a serious event, especially if you've never been in a fight, you've never been punched in the face, you've never, you know, been choked, which a lot, which a lot of people, right, growing up, I mean, that's yeah. not normal. And, and so now you're, you're thrown into this. And, and so it's a very stressful situation. What we hope we're doing is, you know, there's some stress inoculation going on. Mm-hmm. And so by exposing you to this, by the end of the course, I, I know, um, you know, subjectively, I see a difference in, in, in those students. And that's why I really enjoyed, I'm not teaching it um, right currently, but I, I got to teach it last year, Combatives. Was, was, it was very rewarding as I don't think there's any other course that the, the student that walks into that course is, is a different, you know, student when they walk out type, type deal. And you could see that on their face. And then, you know, by those, by the first time they're on the map, by, by those last rounds where, where they, you know, compete and fight. Um, so, so our aim of our study is one to understand that, to understand what the, the stress response and, and what's going on, um, with that, you know, kind of combatives class. But I think long-term, what would be interesting is, you know, how does that impact other factors? So for instance, does, you know, the stress inoculation we do in combatives, would that carry over to something we have like a survival swim program, which is also stressful for a lot of students. If you've never you know, swam before, or you're a non-swimmer and you come here and all of a sudden you're in the water, you got gear on, you gotta, you know, you gotta try to swim. So it, it'd be kind of interesting to see is like, okay, would combatives training, um, you know, kind of help with your stress response to other stimulus that you would find stressful, right? You know, yeah. what, what does, you know, I'm, I imagine it'll carry over to boxing, but, but things like survival to swim, et cetera. I think that would be kind of long-term um, just, just to kind of see. So um, that, that's one of them. That, that'll be really at. interesting to see what comes from that. Because, I mean, from the martial arts perspective of combatants and stuff, I, I really wish more people were just involved in it from day-to-day life. I mean, the stuff you can learn from combatants alone is just like one, humility, but also that self-belief in yourself. And as you say, the person who starts the program is radically different to the person who walks out at the end. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, yeah. And like you said, the, the humility pieces too. And, and, and sometimes you see that as well. And, and yeah, I didn't highlight that, but, but I'll go back as, yeah, you, you see that uh, individual who was maybe a high school athlete who thinks they're, you know, um, better than they are, you know, come out on that matter. They think they know how to fight and they quickly realize that, you know, um, especially if they get with somebody who's trained a little bit, you know, it's like, you're, you're in the water with a shark now, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The humility piece is, is also very powerful. Yeah. It's going to be a, an imagine be a long day. If you just walk in on the mat with a big ego and you've got a high school or college wrestler, uh, former guy on there waiting for you. Yeah, we, we see that we, we do get wrestlers, <laughs> wrestlers do well in combatives. wrestlers do very, very well. Sometimes I, you know, feel bad for folks who get partnered up with them. Um, but you know, we're also very lucky here in that we have uh, Matt Larson as the combatives instructor. He started army combatives. Really? So, so yeah, that was, you know, one of the great things about this job is, is the folks I get to work with. And so, you know, I had heard of, of Matt. He, he also came from Ranger Regiment, 2nd Ranger Battalion. And, um, you know, he, he's a legend. And, and so you, you hear about this individual, like they're like Yoda, you know, and, and this, oh, that's the guy that started Modern Army Combatives. That's, you know, Matt Larson, et cetera. And, and now his office is right behind mine. Um, so it's, it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so he's there. So, so then it's not only is it just, you know, what makes the study kind of, you know, awesome is, is one, looking at, at this, but then too, it's, it's, you know, it's coming straight from the source of, of who started the program. So I think that's really nice as well. And obviously I think you were chatting earlier about some of the stuff you're trying to get some more around the omega three research into yeah. you know, healthier options in the dining hall you were saying. Yeah. So, so in the mess hall, we're trying to um, offer healthier options again, you know, feed them like uh, the tactical athletes that they are. And so offering more fish. So we're hoping to see is, you know, um, there was some quote, uh, from years back. It's like a rations only as good as a, you know, as it, as it's consumed, you know, kind of like you can make the perfect ration, but if mm -hmm. the soldier doesn't eat it, it's no good. Um, so we're, we're offering more fish. The question is, are they eating that fish? And then is it, you know, is it being incorporated in their red blood cells to get that benefit? Um, so, so we hope to, to check omega-3 fatty acid levels in the, the blood, um, for, for some participants and see, you know, over time, um, is, is that actually happen, which I, I think is kind of a, a cool study just to, um, you know, see is, is this applied, Hey, we're offering fish. Are they, they eating more fish? Is it getting in their red blood cells? No, that's awesome. Looking forward to seeing those come out in due time, Nick. Um, obviously really interesting to hear some of the research and stuff you've been putting out here, Nick, as well. And I think anyone who goes off and reads that will really get, uh, well, benefit from them as well. One thing I always ask all the guests who come on this, because I'm always on, interested in people's own development, is just what they're engaged in for their own CPD. So on that, could you give us a book, an app, or a website recommendation that you found useful in your own educational development? Uh, sure. Can I give you some people and that you might want to look into? Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, man. So, so obviously I, I got to go with, uh, you know, uh, Martin Rooney. Um, I've learned so much from, from Martin, um, in terms of over the years. I, so I, I met him, had him, um, at, at regiment, uh, coached some guys and, and he just is a dynamic personality, um, brilliant thinker. And so I've, uh, was lucky enough to become friends with him over the years. So I've really always picked his brain and, and the quality stuff that he puts out. Um, in terms of books, um, 
you know, he actually recommended a book, Endure, by uh, Alex Hutchinson, which everything he writes, I really am a, a fan of of his stuff. And and I, and I couldn't, I don't know if anybody listening to this is read Endure, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's a phenomenal um, book. Um, let me think. For for nutrition, you know, obviously Dr. John Berardi is 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 you know been around forever some somebody i look to for nutrition and and you know really trust uh mm-hmm. the, the stuff that he puts out um obviously you know dr uh asker you can group a lot of dietitians know that name you know i'm, I'm looking at um the, the stuff he puts out the folks at eucerium dr lee margolis um dr stefan pasiakos dr phil carl um uh let me think it's in strength coaches you know uh Stu Phillips like that that guy is like one of the the original you know his his books I think when I was like a lieutenant were, were out on like how to train for certain programs he's been around um some somebody I don't know have you ever heard of Jeff Martone the name rings a bell so so here I'm gonna throw his name out there because a lot of people I don't know for whatever reason in the tactical world some folks like his name isn't as big as I feel like it should be because he is the first person I ever heard use the term tactical athlete. He was using the, the term tactical athlete. I think it's like 2006, 2007. Um, you know, he did a lot of the kettlebell training for uh, uh, CrossFit, but uh, he has a, 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 I think it's called like tactical athlete, you know, uh, his own like program and stuff. Very, very in, um, interesting individual, you know, thinker t- type person. If you look at his stuff um, and, and I think, I don't know if he's a guy who coined the phrase, but he's the first person, um i ever heard uh say it um yeah i'm trying to think who else we learned from we learned from mark twight when when they had when he was at jim jones we learned a lot from him um in terms of thinking he's like a a tactician um in in terms of that like i'm not into climbing but i read kiss or kill just because you know he's just a an interesting individual um his partner uh his old partner, uh, Rob McDonald, still, you know, out there doing training and stuff. He, he's another great, great person to, to look at kind of for kind of hybrid training. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one is, is Duncan French. Okay. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. His, uh, so when I was at Eucerium, we were able to visit the, the performance Institute. Wow. I mean, I mean, that, that's a great team there. They, they get a lot to, I think a lot of folks can can learn from the the stuff they they do there, um, and, and their systems. Um, yeah. I mean Duncan's a, a solid solid guy. He's one of the top guys from the UK. I think he's one of the few uh, British guys that holds like a, quite a senior position within Division One athletics as well. Yeah, he was at Notre Dame, right? Yeah. He was he was at Notre Dame, and then then he's there, and and then yeah, he he's like that ta- that tactical thinker. Just from my my conversation uh, with him while we were visiting there, I mean, yeah, just really, I remember he had like a filter system in terms of input and how he screened things, and um, I think it was called like the most, um, but it was it was very interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of any other names. Uh, oh, another uh, guy from the UK, uh, Fergus uh, Conley. Yep. 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 So, uh, heard him speak. Um, and man, he, he's just a really, uh, great speaker and I've got a couple of his books and, um, and then what I really respect about him, obviously, um, with, with some things that, that went on, um, that were very, you know, public, he kind of had, um, that, you know, I don't know that public burnout, uh, if you will. Um, 
and we were, I was, I was the moderator at a talk uh, he did for the military. And this was before he's since given a talk. If you can find it on YouTube, it's, it's a great talk about it where he talks about it um, about, you know, what happened in this incident. Cause this is like national news, you know, kind of, you know, ESPN, you know, a uh, little stuff. And, um, this is before he did that. And, and I just kind of knew like soldiers need to hear this, like vulnerability, like, cause, cause soldiers make mistakes, et cetera. And he was willing to talk about that, like, mm -hmm. like in front of everybody, you know, up on, you know, probably one of the more embarrassing moments in his life. And, and to me that, that, that vulnerability and just that, um, that willingness to share, um, you know, cause it's, it's easy to get out there and talk about all the great things you do. But to talk about the most embarrassing, you know, thing you probably did up to that point, you know, in front of people and say, hey, this is, you know, this is, um, you know, what happened and why folks need to reach out for help. Um, that was just really, really powerful. And, and so now when I read his stuff, I know there's a, le there's a, there's a level of authenticity there mm -hmm. um, that, I, that I really respect. Nick, I think that's probably the <laughs> I think I rambled on. Yeah. list I've come across, mate. That's awesome, dude. Thank you so much for that. All right, Nick. Um, obviously, dropped a lot of knowledge for us today, mate. I think anyone listening here is going to have some great insights and, you know, a lot of great signposts to go off and do some further reading into the subjects as well. If anyone listening to this wants to get in touch with you, you know, or ask you any further question, what's the best ways they can do that? Um, you, can, you can shoot me an email. At, at, see, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm new to this whole social media thing. So see, <laughs> my, my wife has set up every account that I have. Embarrassing story, I, I'll you know, tell. Um, so, um, you know, you can email me at nickberringer 35 at gmail.com or I am on Instagram. That's, that's how we connected. And again, I have to give all credit uh, to my wife. She's the one that set up the account. And I think it's Nick Berenger, uh, dot PhD dot RDN. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's it. I don't, I don't think I've, she set me up Twitter or anything, else, but uh, <laughs> that's where I'm at. So email or, or Instagram, uh, reach out. I'm, I'm still learning. So, so bear with me. Um, but I'll, I'll try to, to get, you know, back to you. Sweet. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that, Mick. I'll make sure I pop those in our show notes. But once again, Mick, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Sit down, chat, Nick. It's been an uh, absolute pleasure to chat to you, bud. John, no, the, the pleasure's all mine. And, and yeah, thanks so much for reaching out. And I'm, I'm excited about um, all the great things you're doing and, and bringing all these experts in. I mean, you've, you, you've got an impressive lineup of, of folks, you, you know, myself excluded, of course, but uh, folks you've, you've interviewed and, uh, and I think it's awesome. Also, congratulations on, uh, so you got in the, the, the physiotherapy uh, program, your doctorate. So, yes, so yes. soon to be uh, Dr. John. So, so that's awesome, man. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate that, bud. All right, man. All right, buddy. Take care. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Team Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor. To share the show, please take a screenshot of whatever episode you're listening to and put it in your stories on Instagram, and make sure you tag me in it. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me and please share the show. Either tag me at Coach John P or at Monarchium Performance and I will reshare it. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.
Oh, 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 oh,